Some of you remember Michael Orr from, uh, from the movie The Blind Side. Uh, he's an offensive lineman for the Baltimore Ravens. Well, this past Wednesday, Michael Orr was online, and his Twitter feed started filling up with all this information about Steve Jobs dying. Uh, Orr tweeted, can somebody help me out? Who is Steve Jobs? Now, um, even more ironic, perhaps, he was using his iPhone at the time. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know who Steve Jobs was, if you're in the same boat with Michael Orr, uh, he died this past week and has been called one of the greatest business executives ever. Uh, he's being mentioned in the same breath as Henry Ford, invented this little thing called the automobile, uh, and Albert Einstein, Steve Jobs, Henry Ford, Albert Einstein. He's the reason we have Apple computers, iPads, iPhones, i whatever. He's the reason we have Pixar animation, if you've forgotten about that uh, little jewel. Uh, at one point this spring, his company was the most valuable company on the planet. They had passed uh, Exxon. I think at one point they had more money than the U.S. government, which that wouldn't be that hard. But um, it's been said even Steve Jobs remade the world as completely as any human being ever has. Well, that's a big statement. He remade the world as completely as any human being ever has. Uh, now, obviously, somebody we can be thankful for his gifts, thankful for uh, his creativity and the things he's accomplished in this life. Uh, interestingly, uh, he gave the commencement speech at Stanford in 2005, and, and this is what he said to the graduates there. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it, and that is as it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited. So don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice, heart, and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Now, commenting on Jobs' commencement speech, one writer uh, said this. He said, what, what, what Jobs said in this is the gospel of today. Uh, it's the gospel of our secular age. He says it has the great virtue of being based only on what we can all perceive. It doesn't take any revelation or dogma. And it promises nothing it can't deliver. Since all that is promised is the opportunity to live your own unique life. A hope that is realizable since it is offered by one who has so spectacularly succeeded by following his own inner voice, heart, and intuition. Upon close inspection, this gospel offers no hope that you cannot generate yourself and only the comfort of having been true to yourself. Now he's saying this commencement speech by Steve Jobs in 2005 in some way summarizes today's 
gospel. That, that this is where we think we have good news. This is where we think we have life. And listening to your own heart, your own voice, your own feelings, your own intuition. Death is coming and we need to be real about that. But it's just part of it. It's life's great change agent. In the meantime, you just need to live and be true to yourself. And maybe buy a few cool iPhones along the way. Uh, you, you, you might say that Steve Jobs is a very modern version of the rich young ruler that we're going to look at today. That he had formed his own answer to this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, think about that as we read Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, this is a, a hard passage of your word. These are, these are difficult things to hear and to understand, um, and perhaps even more difficult to do, in fact, impossible to do, you tell us. So I pray that you would uh, give us insight, uh, and that you would work through the things I say, but that you would work over and above all that, and that you would really cause us to follow after Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Well, f- three things from this. We've got a question, we've got an answer, and we've got a reaction. A question, an answer, and a reaction. Uh, the question first. The text tells us that there's this young man who comes to see Jesus. Uh, Matthew has an account of this as as well. He tells us he's a young man. Uh, Luke tells us he's a ruler, and so that's how he's become known as the rich young ruler. He's probably a high-ranking official in the the local synagogue there. Uh, He was the kind of guy you'd want your daughter to marry. Uh, He's bright, he's intelligent, he's wealthy, 
He's good looking. He's religious. He's sincere. You know, he, he's got the whole package going on. He's what we call a good guy. And he runs up to Jesus because he's got this burning question on his, on his heart. You know, and, and picture here, you know, you're running up to, to whatever conference speaker because you've got this question you've been wanting to ask him. And so you're pushing everybody out of the way. Look, you've got to tell me the answer to this. And so the rich young ruler runs through the crowd. He runs up to Jesus. He gets down on his knees. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, what do he want? Well, he wanted everlasting life. He wanted uh, to go to heaven. Uh, he wanted to be assured that when he died, there was something really good on the other side and that, that he was going to be there. And he wanted peace of conscience about that now. Uh, the religious authorities of his day, if he had run up to them and asked them this question, would have said, well, you know the commandments, just obey them, obey God, be good, and you'll have eternal life. Uh, that answer obviously hasn't satisfied him completely, and so he wants to hear what Jesus has to say about this. And so he asked him, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? So that's our question. All right, what about the answer? Uh, before I get into the answer, I want to I tell you ahead of time that it's a troubling answer. And it's going to be troubling to different people for different reasons. Uh, for some of you, this discussion might trouble you because Jesus is actually saying there is such a thing as heaven. There is such a thing as eternal life. But not everybody winds up there. And in fact, your reaction to me determines whether you wind up there or not. Now... You might not believe that. Uh, many would say, look, I, I don't know if there's life after the grave, <clears throat> but if there is life after the grave, then as long as you don't do anything really bad, uh, you should be okay. And certainly it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe something. And Jesus' answer here is going to be troubling to you. But there's a second group here that this is going to be troubling to you. This answer that Jesus gives is probably going to be troubling to people who would consider themselves to be conservatives. Because Jesus is going to tell you to give your money away to poor people. Uh, he's going to tell you, look, it's not yours. I, I know you're mad because you think the government's taking your money, but it's not yours to start with. It's God's money. Jesus is, is claiming authority over your pocketbook. And he's demanding that you be concerned with the poor, whether you think they got into the mess on their own or not. He's telling you, you've got to be concerned with poor people. Maybe offensive to you. There's a third group this message is probably going to be offensive to. Uh, and that's people who would consider themselves to be liberal. Because while Jesus does say, take care of the poor, um, and liberal people tend to like that. He doesn't say, take care of the poor and sleep with whoever you want to. Uh, he says, feed the poor, obey the Ten Commandments, and follow me. And that may be offensive to you. But there's a fourth group that this is going to be troubling to you. And that's just Christians in general. Because uh, you look at this and you hear him and you go, well, why don't he just answer him? Why don't he just tell him, to trust in Him. Uh, you read this and you go, well, is that how you get to heaven? 
Have you got to sell everything? And, and what's, what's everything anyway? Why isn't Jesus more compassionate with this guy? You know, why, why, does, he, why does he run this very sincere guy off? All right, what's going on? So everybody gets to be offended by this passage. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he really is the one, if he really is the son of God, then I think we can all expect to be offended at one time or the other by his word. So what's his answer then? Let's set up. What's his answer? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. Why do you call me good? Now, Jesus is asking him to, to think about something. For one, he's asking him to think about what is goodness? You kind of throw that around, that term around lightly. What does it mean to really be good? Do you really know what you're saying when you call somebody good? I mean, and y'all think about that this past week. How many times have you said, she's a good kid. He's a great guy. How often do we just throw that term out there? And Jesus is saying, what is it? What does that mean, really? For somebody to be good. Uh, secondly, he's saying to the rich young ruler, if you agree with me here that only God is good, what are the consequences of that for you? What does that leave you if only God is good? Uh, if you understand goodness and what it really is, can you really claim to be good? How can you say that you're good? And then he's also asking him, why are you calling me good? If I'm really good, then who am I? And what should your response to, be, to me be? Uh, so Jesus, he starts here, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And then he points him to the commandments. He points him to the second half of the Ten Commandments, which concern uh, how we're to relate to our neighbor. The first half shows you how to love God. The second half shows you how to love your neighbor. And so Jesus points him to these commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And he's sort of asking him, hey man, how'd you get your wealth? Did you cheat anybody? Did you exploit anybody? Did you step on anybody? Did you steal from anybody? And so he's challenging him with the Ten Commandments. And he's saying to him, look, have you really loved your neighbor as yourself? If this is what you're supposed to do to get eternal life, have you really done it? And I think that's a question we ought to ask ourselves as well. Have you, if you think that, that being good is the way to know God, uh, have you really been good? Have you really loved your neighbor? Have you really been kind to your brothers and your sisters? Have you ever been hateful or selfish or rude? Have you really been good? And so the question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer is to ask him, well, have you kept the law? All the, the teachers are telling you to be good, to keep the law. That's how you get to heaven. Have you really been good? Have you done it? Well, the young man responds and he says, I've kept all those commandments from my youth. I've, I've done that. He's like a, a lot of us. He doesn't know himself very well. He doesn't know 
what the commandments are really actually requiring of him. Uh, he doesn't realize that adultery is not just an act, but it's a thought. And that murder is not just killing somebody, but it's having hateful intentions towards somebody. That false testimony is not just lying, but it's failing to be truthful. The young man thinks he's doing it all right. All right? He's like, man, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've done that. You know, if, if he lived the day, he might say, well, to inherit eternal life, I'm supposed to pray a prayer to receive Jesus and then be good. And yeah, I've done that. I've done that about six times. So I should be okay. And, and Jesus looks at him, and, and the text tells us he loves him. And, and so he shoots straight with him and he says okay he doesn't really say you're lying Uh, he doesn't do that he just says to him okay there's one more thing you need to do you lack one thing go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven and then follow me what was Jesus doing is he teaching salvation by works, salvation by selling everything? I don't think so. I was on Facebook recently, keeping an eye on everybody, <laughs> seeing what you're listening to on Spotify, because and, 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 that's the way I shepherd you. Um, and John Wright wants to know what I do all day. That's what I do. I keep an eye on people. Uh, but a friend posted a link to one of those angry... Um, college street preachers, right? He's basically standing on campus yelling at everybody, telling them they're all going to hell and all the Christians are embarrassed and everybody else is just mad at him, right? That's the general effect that has. And there are all these comments about, you know, this guy preaching and one guy says, you know, that just shows that the problem is religion. But that's, that's why we have stuff. This just religion is a problem. And there are so many people who would echo those Sentiments that the problem with the world today, the reason we have crime and war and all these things, it's just religion. If we could get rid of religion, then everybody would just love everybody and everything would be okay. Um, and and I, what I wanted to say as I was sitting there reading it, but I've decided that, that you can't have good conversations on Facebook. Uh, but what I wanted to say is, but everybody's religious. Everybody's religious. Everybody has an ultimate commitment, even the atheist. Everybody has an identity. Everybody has something they're committed to. Everybody has something they're building their lives on. To say the cause is religion, it, it didn't, you're not saying anything. Because everybody's religious, the question is, what is your religion? And see, Jesus is saying to the young man here, What's your religion? Do you you really see what your religion is? You're building your life on something other than God. And you don't see it. Or to put it another way, uh, you think you fulfilled the law by loving your neighbor. But you're not loving your neighbor because you're more concerned with protecting your own wealth than you are with the welfare of the people around you. You think you fulfilled the law by loving God, but the truth of the matter is you love your money more than you love God. That's where your, ro- that's where your loyalty is. 
your loyalty is to your money. And given the cultural context, he's probably saying your loyalty is to your money and to your family. You don't want to give up your money and you don't want to leave home because that's everything to you. That's your identity. That's who you are. That's your religion. That's where you're trying to find life. Those are your saviors. Now, are you willing to let go of those saviors and let me be your savior? Do you understand what Jesus is doing here? He's, he's pinpointing something in the heart of the rich young ruler. He's pinpointing what he was really holding on to, uh, what he was really worshiping. And he's saying, don't you see? You're not good. You haven't kept the law. You haven't loved God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. The only thing you've loved that way is your money. That's what God is to you. And what he wants for this man to do is to come to this point where his eyes are open and he says, you're right. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not good. I've been hearing these commandments my whole life and I think I've been keeping them, but I haven't really been keeping them because they go much deeper than I think they go. I've been selfish. My heart's wrapped around my possessions and I don't care anything about the people around me. What can I do to inherit eternal life? There's nothing I can do. Help me. Save me. Well, that's not his reaction, is it? Um, the reaction of the rich young ruler is, uh, for all this talk about wanting eternal life, he's not willing to die to himself to get it. He doesn't want to give up his idols because his idols are what's precious to him in the here and now. His idols are what he thinks is going to bring him life. And so he can't let go of them. And so we read that he was disheartened by the saying and went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Well, how does Jesus react to that? Uh, we read Jesus says, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we're not going to harp on it today because we're actually going to come back and harp on money in a couple weeks, so get excited. Um, but simply say this, money is a very um, difficult idol to see because we're always comparing ourselves to other people in our own kind of tax bracket, in our own class. And so we don't ever look to those beneath us often. It's very difficult to see. It's incredibly dangerous to our souls. Jesus actually warns about the danger of money more than he warns about the dangers of sex and power. He talks about money a lot. Because money gives you the ability to do things, to be somebody, to find security. It functions as this counterfeit God in our lives. And it's hard for us to see how much of a hold it actually has on us. It's hard to see how it is really functioning as a pseudo-savior in our lives. So the disciples then hear Jesus say this and go, what? Wait, what did you just say? And Jesus says it again, except he kind of amps it up a little bit. How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for 
an American to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples are just, they're flabbergasted at this point. Um, wait, wait. Rich people can't get in? Because they had sort of a, a health and wealth mentality. They're like, well, if you got money, God must be blessing you. And now you're telling me the people God's blessing, it's hard for them to get into heaven? Well, who's going to be saved then? If they can't get in, nobody can get in. And Jesus says, with man, it's impossible. It's not possible. But not with God, for all things are possible with God. It's really hard to see your need for God. Uh, it's even harder to see your need for God if you're rich. Because riches and money give you the illusion that you can shape your world and that you can control your world like you want to. It's hard to turn away from idols and to turn to God. It's especially hard to turn away from money and to turn to God. It's hard to let go of it because it provides so much for it, so much for us. It's hard to, to turn from it and turn to God. In fact, Jesus says it's actually impossible to do. That you actually cannot do it. God has to change you. God has to do something in your heart so that you see that about yourself and see how desperately you need a Savior. He has to change you so that the Savior He offers you in the person of Jesus Christ is more desirable to you than the salvation you think you're going to find in wealth and possessions and money. Well, we've talked about two rich young rulers today. The rich young ruler uh, of our story who's unable to, to leave his wealth behind for Jesus. We've talked about our modern rich young ruler, Steve Jobs, who says death is coming and that's actually good because it's life's great change agent. In the meantime, what you need to do is follow your heart, follow your intuition, be true to yourself and accumulate some possessions along the way. Well, there's another rich young ruler that the Gospel of Mark is pointing us to all the way through, and that's Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus comes and he says, death is not life's great change agent. Death is the enemy. Death is awful, and I've come to defeat it. I've left my home, and I've left my riches to come and to give up my life for you. So death will no longer have any hold on you. I've come to hang on the cross for you. I became poor for you. I gave away my wealth for you. Now, you give up your wealth. You turn away from yourself and you come. And don't follow your heart, but you come and you follow me. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be difficulties, there's going to be persecutions, but I'll provide what you need for the journey, and in the end, you'll find eternal life. We pray for us. Father, I pray that uh, these hard words would 
They weren't something we would just walk away from quickly or think, oh, I understand that. But they would actually trouble us and cause us to think about where our true trust is. Uh, That they would trouble us and cause us to think about what we're really holding on to in this life. That they would trouble us and drive us to our knees and drive us to Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen.